Well, as I um, shared earlier, so glad to be back with you this morning. Um, well, once we found out that, that Caitlin had um, the coronavirus, we shipped her upstairs um, and communicated only with her by her yelling down to us and us yelling up to her. We would take her food upstairs and put it at the top of the stairs, and we'd come down. We'd go back up there and get that dirty, dirty plate and come back down. That was a communication that we had for, for about 10 days with our precious daughter. Well, because of my precious daughter, Danny and I, um, obviously, we got the, the coronavirus test. How many of you have had that done? Okay, worst experience of my life. Okay, I kid you not. Um, Danny and I went to a place that did a rapid testing. The people came out to the, the guy came out to the car, um, went to Danny, and, and I couldn't find a long enough Q-tip, but um, just to give you an idea, swabbed Danny's nose just real gently each side. He comes over to my side, and he jams that thing up my nose. It came out the back of my head, and I blurted out to that guy. I really thought that I was going to have to call somebody to come bust me out of jail. I blurted out of my mouth, are you serious? What in the world are you doing? Um, and then he goes from that nostril to the other nostril, and he did it again. Well, after he was done, he said nothing. He walked back into the building, and I turn and look at my wife. Okay, I have tears coming down my face, okay? I turn and look at my wife, and she's laughing at me, okay? Your pastor's wife is laughing at me. And she pulls out her phone, and she begins to text her friends, telling them what a baby I am. I was so mad at her whenever she was doing that, and I was even madder at the guy that, that violated me like he did. But um, it's good to be back with you this morning. So glad to be here. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series entitled, um, Standing on the Promises of God. Our message point is this, in a world of broken promises, God can be counted on. You know that, right? In a world of broken promises, our God can be counted on. We just sang just a moment ago, standing on the promises of God. A couple of those, um, those stanzas. Um, first one, standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Another is standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Are you standing on the promises of God this morning? Are you standing on the promises of Christ my King? 2 Corinthians 1.20, we read these words. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at many of the different promises found in Scripture. We're going to look at his promise of peace, of power, of pardon, of victory, of comfort, of protection, blessing, and many others. But for this morning's message, what we're going to do is we're going to look at like a biblical overview of a promise. Okay, we're going to look at what a promise is, what a promise isn't. We're going to look at the importance of making sure that we are, we are taking the promise not out of context, but putting it in its right context. So notice first the different types of God's promises. There, there are first 
conditional promises, okay? These are promises which assure us that God will do his part when we do our part. These are those verses that um, often begin with, if you do this, then God is going to do this. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a great conditional promise passage. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Okay, do you see the condition there? Okay, if the people of God humble themselves, if we pray, if we seek God's face, and if we turn from our wicked ways, if we do our part, then God is going to do his part. And we see here, if we do A, B, C, and D, then God will forgive our sins and he will heal our land. If there's ever a time that we have needed to put into practice 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, it is now, isn't it? I mean, just as we look at our world and the wars that are raging on within our city streets as well as within countries around this world, we need God. And as a church and as a people of God, we need to repent of our sins and return back to God. Another great example of a conditional promise is found in James chapter 1, verse 5. In the words of, of James, that James penned are these, If any of you lacks wisdom... Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So what do we see here as the conditional promise? If we lack wisdom, what are you and I to do? We are to ask God, who gives generously. And this is a promise that we are given in Scripture. If we lack wisdom and we need discernment, then we pray to God and ask God to give it to us, and we have this promise in Scripture that he is going to do that. Those are just two great examples of conditional promises in Scriptures. If you and I do our part, then God has made a a promise to us that he is going to do his part. There are also unconditional promises promises. An example of an unconditional promise is found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11. Um, This is a passage that we're all familiar with, um, speaking of Noah and the flood. But we read, um, I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God made a promise with Noah, and subsequently with us, that he would never again bring floodwaters that are going to cover the entire world again. Now, we know that, that God still disciplines us when we rebel against him, right? Um, I mean, even in Scripture, we see this after the flood. There's the Tower of Babel, where people are scattered around across the face of the earth, and, and our language is confused, an example of God disciplining us. There's Sodom and Gomorrah, where it was destroyed because of the sinfulness of the people. The Israelites were taken into Babylonian captivity as a result of their sinfulness. There was 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the New Testament as an example of, of the wretchedness of the people that lived during that day. Here's what you and I can be certain of. God, 100% of the time, is always true to his promises. In Numbers 23, 19, we read, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? God can be counted on. His promises are always 100% true. I want us to look at a few things this morning when it comes to 
her promises, okay? Some important truths to consider. Number one is this. Don't claim someone else's promise. In Jeremiah 29, 11, one of probably all of our favorite verses, okay? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. How many of you like, uh, is that one of your favorite passages of Scripture? Okay, I think probably most of us in this room, that is one of our favorite passages of Scripture. That is probably also one of those passages of Scriptures that most of us take out of context over and over. We, we take that promise and, and apply that promise to our life. Well, that's not what um, we're supposed to do here. Um, here's a problem with people doing this. Jeremiah wrote this in a letter to the exiles that had been snatched at the hands of the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and this period in Israel's history is one of its darkest periods. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, we read this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So Jeremiah 29, 11 would happen, but it would only happen after a period of 70 years in which the Israelites found themselves in, the, in captivity. You can be certain that when the Israelites received word from Jeremiah that they were to stay in the land for 70 years before they would get to go back home, they were probably pretty broken hearted. And in fact, they were also told by Jeremiah to hunker down for the long haul. They were to build houses, take wives, prosper in the land, and not to listen to false prophets. Now, this may be disappointing to hear this morning for some of us. It may be disappointing to know that we can't take this verse and claim it for ourselves today and go about living our happily ever after. But don't let that be the case because this verse affirms something for all of us in this room this morning. It's this, God is a promise keeper. He kept his word and after 70 years, the Israelites returned back to Israel, and they would prosper again in the land that God had promised them. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't continue to memorize Jeremiah 29 and 11, and don't continue to believe and hold the truths within that verse for yourselves, because we can do that. But we just can't claim something that God did not speak directly to us. That was spoken directly to the Israel, Israelites. Notice next, don't pick and choose God's promises. Okay, don't, don't kind of open up Scripture and find those warm, fuzzy um, promises that God has for us and fail to recognize that there's some other difficult promises that are in Scripture as well. Um, in John 16, 33, Jesus spoke these words. He said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Suffering is a reality, isn't it? I've said dozens of times from, from this pulpit that if you and I live long enough, you and I will experience the pain of loss and suffering. I mean, as a faith family right now, we're, we're suffering the loss of our good friend, Chief. Okay, My friend Mark is suffering the loss of his dad this morning. Loss is a reality for all of us in this room. There is going to be suffering. There is going to be pain. There is going to be heartache. Not only is there going to be the loss as a result of the passing of our loved ones, but there are also potentially going to be persecution 
and suffering that will come our way as well. Um, you know, think about the American church today, not so much here in, in Texas, okay? But think about the church as a whole today, especially in California and, and New York and other parts of the world. Um, the church is being told that, hey, you can meet in person as long as you don't have more than X number of people. You can meet, but you can't sing. And then they've also been threatened that if you meet, we're going to throw you in prison. Many of you know who John MacArthur is. John MacArthur is a pastor, author, theologian, um, great, um, great um, writer, um, and I've referred to him many times. But this week, his church was, he was threatened to be thrown into prison. And you know what he said? He said, bring it on. And, and there is a reality even in um, the states today that persecution is coming our way, and we see it even happening in places like California. Between October the 31st and of 2017 and November 1st of 2018, I want to read to you some statistics. There were 4,136 Christians killed because of their faith. There were 2,625 Christians detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. There were 1,266 churches or build, Christian buildings attacked. Every single day, there are at least 11 Christians killed for their faith right here in this world. We can't pick and choose. We must take the good with the heart to stomach, but behind every tough promise is a comforting truth as well. In Matthew 5, 11 through 12, Jesus spoke these words, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our God is a promise keeper, isn't he? Yeah, pain and suffering may come or will come our way. Persecution may come our way. But in the end, we know that our God is going to reward us when we faithfully come out on the other side of it. Our next um, sub-point here is be prepared to live out God's promises. Think about the biblical heroes of the faith. Each of the biblical men and women that are mentioned in the great um, faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11. These were men and women that received a conditional promise from God. If they obeyed, then God would do extraordinary things through him. In Hebrews 11:2, we read, For by it, by faith, okay, the people of God received their commendation. Think about Noah. Noah was promised protection. It was conditioned upon him building the ark. Abraham was promised a son and a nation. Moses was promised was that he would lead the people out of Egypt. Joshua was promised courage. David was promised the kingdom. Peter was promised the church. Paul was promised the nations. And you and I, our promises are not unlimited, aren't they? We have been promised power, forgiveness from sin, eternal life, answered prayer, wisdom and discernment, boldness, strength, holiness, purity, and we've also been promised purpose as well. Every single one of us has been set apart by God and commissioned by him to do great and mighty things for him, just like every single one of those great champions of the faith that are found in Hebrews chapter 11. Our second point this morning is this. I want us just to briefly look at a preview of some of God's promises that we are going to study in the coming weeks together. These are some of those promises 
that we're going to look at. The first one that I want us to look at this morning is comforting promise. Comforting promises. This is appropriate this morning, okay? Especially as we both mourn and celebrate the life of chief. As I was texting with Sue and Mark on Wednesday, after she had shared that Chief would not be with us long, I began to think to myself that Chief lived his life for that very moment. Think about that for a second. You and I live our lives for the opportunity of waking up in the very presence of Jesus Christ. That's how Chief lived his life. He was faithful to the mission that he would, had been given. And when he took his final breath on this side of eternity, he was greeted in the heavenlies by God our Father. And Paul, um, Paul wrote in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To die is gain. Chief lived his life well. He ran the race of life well. And he crossed the finish line and was greeted by the Lord Jesus Christ on Wednesday at 5.55 p.m. What a life. Truly a man whose legacy will live on. Thousands upon thousands of people heard the gospel preached as a result of his faithfulness around the world. Hundreds upon hundreds of people placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a result of his faithfulness to the word. We celebrate his life and the impact he made on this world and in our lives. But here are some comforting words that the Lord has left us with. In Psalm 23, 4 through 6, we read, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are some comforting, promising words for us. Jesus spoke these words to, to his disciples and to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Comforting, promising words. And we're going to look at that in greater detail in the coming weeks. There are also saving promises. Many of the promises of God are promises given to us that lead us to salvation. John 3.16. What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes, okay, not some people that believe, not a certain number of people that might believe, but whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What a promising words of salvation that have been given to us this morning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, we read, For as by man came death, by man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. For as in Adam all die. 
because of that first sin that was committed in the Garden of Eden, all of humanity standed, stood condemned before God. And we read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death. But there is a promise that is given in the latter part of this verse. It is this, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does it take in order to enter into an eternal relationship with Jesus Christ? It requires us, according to Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Paul wrote these words in Romans 10, 13. He he was quoting Joel here, but he said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Those are some saving promises that if we repent of our sins and we cry out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of our lives, then we indeed shall be saved. We'll look at that also more in the coming days. Also, there are some peaceful promises in the world in which we live in today, where chaos reigns supreme on our television screens and across our internet screens, what did the angel of the Lord declare to the shepherd? Peace had come in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to his disciples in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, nor let them be afraid. You know, there's been a lot of fear that has swept across our land. Fear that has swept within the hearts of many of us in this room over the past several months. But even in the midst of American turmoil, political division, the loss of friends and loved ones, wars and conflicts and rioting and the coronavirus and persecution, you and I can still know peace. And we can experience peace, a peace that passes all understanding. In Isaiah 26, 3 through 4, we read, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Trust in the Lord, my friends. He is the promise keeper. He is the giver of peace. Notice finally, there, there is this need to apply God's promises to our life. Again, in 2 Corinthians 1.20, we read, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul was being accused by the Corinthians of not keeping his word. Um, he had told them that he was going to return to them and, and, and be with them face to face. But the Lord had other plans for Paul that required him to go to somewhere else. And because of this, the people of, of Corinth got their feelings hurt. Some of them even questioned the, validity, or the, the, the truthfulness of Paul's preaching. But Paul said that basically... I go where God leads me to go. I find my yes and my amen in him. I don't act upon what I want to do. I act as God leads me to act. And I think all of us in this room need to put that in practice as well. We need to act in accordance with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Brian Bill shares these words. God's promises are many, running from Genesis to Revelation. 
These promises are made by God himself and therefore will be kept. These promises reflect God's character. These promises are established beyond doubt in his yes and in his amen. The word yes is Greek. Okay, in Greek, it means certain and true. Someone has said that God's favorite word is yes. Amen in Hebrew means so be it or it's already done. All of God's promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3, verse 14, we read, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. In Jesus, we find our yes, and we find our amen. In Jesus is found the yes and amen. God is looking for people who obediently say to him, yes, and amen, as he leads and as he guides us to go. Our takeaway this morning is we need to claim this. Lord, you have promised it. Do as you have said. What is it that the Lord is wanting you to say yes and amen to this morning? What promise has the Lord given you that you need to claim? What conditional promise has God said to you, if you do this, then I promise you I will do this. For Noah, if you build the ark, I'm going to protect you and your family. For Abraham, if you are obedient and go, I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to give you a nation. What is the promise that God has given you and, and how are you going to see it fulfilled? What is the Lord calling you to this morning? Is he calling you to salvation? Is he calling you to church membership? Is he calling you to be biblically baptized, to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation? Um, is he calling you to share the love of Jesus with somebody specifically that he has placed upon your heart? What is it that the Lord is calling you to this morning? Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make this morning, I want to invite you this morning to do that. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning thanking you, Father, for your word. Thanking you for the promises that we are able to stand upon this morning. Father, I pray that all of us will, will Father, not cling to somebody else's promise, but may we cling to the promises that you have given to us. Father, those oftentimes are conditional promises. Father, help us to identify those conditional promises for our lives and put those into practice so that we can be used of you as your hands and feet, as world changers, Father, as, as, as community changers, as, as, as state changers and nation changers and literally world changers as well. Father, I pray this morning that there's someone here that is yet to accept this salvific promise that if they repent of their sins, and cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their lives, that you will save them. I pray that today they will do that very thing. Father, this morning, there may be someone that you're leading to make friendship your church home or their church home. I pray that they'll do that as well. Lord, be with us now as we enter into this time of invitation. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.